This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Muck Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door, including my favourite, the Quarter Pounder with cheese. Mm. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery, so the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get reward points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 114 of the Stacey West podcast. As ever, I'm Ben and Gaz is with me. How are we doing, mate? You well? Very well. Yeah, very well. Odd, isn't it? Recording on a Saturday lunchtime. Charlie's with us as well, as you can hear. Um, (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah. It's hard not to be well after you've watched Steve Evans um, implode. And I, I, sorry, I, saw, I know that we, we get straight into it, but I saw him described yeah, last night on Twitter as a badly packed parachute. I just saw <laughs> looking like a badly packed parachute. Oh, that was brilliant. That made me chuckle. And I, I pointed out as well on, uh, on social media, the man is 58 years old and he has frosted tips in his hair. I don't know what frosted tips are. It's where you get the ends, like, just the ends of your hair bleached. What, on purpose? Yeah. Why? Why would you do that? I don't know. It's a thing, apparently. But is it? I, I've heard that getting your hair brushed and cut is a thing, but recently that hasn't been happening <laughs> to me either. No, that's, that's fair. Um, that is, yeah. I, I, I mean, it makes me wonder, like, Steve's obviously had that done by somebody. So, you know, is it his is, 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 you know, better half? Well, I noticed um, that he wasn't wearing a mask on the touchline at all, and a lot of the other staff were. And I did think that of all of the people on the touchline, the one of them that would have been most at risk of sort of serious uh, implications of contracting COVID is probably the morbidly obese man. Obese? <laughs> obese man. Um, I just, yeah. I don't, look, we love to hate him. I praised him in the build-up because I think he's done a decent job at Gillingham. Uh, but he's he's also a, a prick, um, and kind of, <laughs> he is. Yeah, you know what I mean, like yeah, yeah. The way that he called the game, he said, "Oh, the referee was calling the players by their nicknames." What well, what's he implying that they all hang around together like the Bash Street Kids? You know what I mean when they're when they're not um, when they're not there. It's like referee Sam. I can't remember. Is it Sam Barrett? Sam Barrett hangs around with Bridders, and 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 what nicknames was he using? And how did Steve know that they're nicknames? Because if Steve knows that they're nicknames, that implies that Steve knows those names as well. So does he hang around with them too? And that got to me thinking: wasn't there a fat kid in Bash Street Kids? Yeah, it was just called Fatty. Was he really? Yeah. 
there we go it's funny actually because for a long long while uh, I, I have a playlist on spotify and i had it on while i was setting up now tv after match day live yesterday and the last song that played was loser uh, by dropkick murphys and every time uh, steve came on the tv uh, yesterday i just had it going through my head he's a first class loser <laughs> and luckily it came to pass i mean it was like i just thought you know at the end when when you you know you normally go around and shake everybody's hand i mean steve evans is, is the person that i would least like to shake hands with regardless of whether there was covid going around or not you know it's just it, it, yeah I, I don't like him he's an odious Okay. I, I could imagine that Steve, like when he gets home, he has quite a, a nice house, you know, like his, his missus probably keeps him in check. But Paul Rain is just like the grubby little offshoot. Do you know what I mean? Just, I just look at him and I, I could just imagine him like on a Wednesday walking down to Budgeons in his slippers and tracksuit to buy another pack of 20 B&H and a can, a can of special brew at 11 in the morning on the local uh, the local council estate. Do you know the type of person I mean? <laughs> I would yeah. be, just look at him next time you see it and I just think I could just see a like, roll up hanging out his mouth that went out about 30 minutes ago but he's saving it for later that kind <laughs> of character whereas with Steve you can almost imagine that like he gives it all Billy big bollocks or you know Billy probably small bollocks given um his medical condition by the looks of things and he probably like goes home to Mrs Evans and it's like Stephen take your shoes off on the carpet I bet he's got rubber on his um sofa so that he doesn't mess up the actual felt <laughs> cushions I think that's so he doesn't piss himself when he sees the results coming in every Saturday. Well, I was pissing myself when our result came in yesterday. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, do you know what? Look, he's we take the Mickey out of Steve, and he's he's very very easy to because he's been a villain for Lincoln City for so long. But what would football be without villains? What would mm. it be if every game was you know managers slapping each other on the back like Darren Moore? You know, football's about emotions. You've got to have anti-heroes to have heroes. You've got to have baddies to have goodies. You know, imagine watching one of your little brightly coloured crash bang wallop superhero films with no actual baddies in it. You know, it'd just be a load of superheroes going around letting off fireworks or something, wouldn't it? I'd watch it. I'd still watch it. Of course you would. <laughs> But um, so, I mean, that that's probably, you know, I think, it, can we ever get enough of, of taking the piss out of Steve Evans? Because no. I think at some point we should probably start talking about football. OK. Um, but yeah, like, you know, game, big game last night. Um, it was it was the perfect chance to to bounce back, given what had happened, you know, last week against Doncaster. We're not going to really talk about Doncaster, but we'll, we'll you know, we'll obviously touch on it. Um, but. Yeah, the um, the I thought the performance last night was was pretty solid. I mean, it was it was a defensive performance, which is something that we've not seen like we've not needed to see that too much this season because we normally you know we're on the front foot and we attack the play. But um, I, I thought mm. well, I, I thought that the first you know until our goal, I thought. We, we managed to soak up that pressure from Gillingham in the right ways. And then when we needed to, we started to turn the screw and, and just sort of find those little holes and the little gaps where we, could, where we could get our play in. And then that obviously showed up with the, you know, with the first goal, which was, I mean, it, I think I saw Andy, uh, Andy Pearson describe it on Twitter as liquid football, which, you know, it was beautiful to watch. And I think some of my, um, some of my friends that were watching who are Premier League supporters got in touch with me and said that first goal was bloody special like it was just really nice um 
Yeah, I'm going to disagree with the whole defensive thing. Um, you know, early in the season against the likes of Charlton and Oxford, um, and to a degree Blackpool as well. I think we had to, you know, we had to defend quite deep. And um, I think in the early stages of us finding our patterns of play, we were a very defensive side. So it's certainly a, an aspect of the um, team that I think we've seen before. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was nice to see to see it mixed in with the other element of play without forces changing it. So you look at a Portsmouth game, for instance, and, you know, the first 30 minutes of that, I think that we were very similar in that we were looking to soak up pressure, hit on the break, but then an actual incident, I can't think what it was. I think, I think there was a, like a red card or something, but anyway, whatever it was, yeah, I um, think something, so. mm-hmm. something happened in the Portsmouth game that then meant that we had to change and adapt. Whereas I think yesterday we changed and adapt with the ebb and flow of the game. Mm. Um, so you know, we scored our goal, which obviously I'll talk about. And then after that, I actually thought that from our goal onwards, Gillingham were the better side in the first half. Mm. Um, I don't think that we began to find our footing in the game. I think that we got our goal and at that point sort of thought, well, now we will wait for those those gaps and those spaces. And with respect to Gillingham, I don't think those gaps and spaces appeared in the first half. But you're quite right. I mean, the goal was, you know, there was two or three moments that in the goal that I thought were were both functional and special that are worth mentioning. Steve Evans mentions that that Callum Slattery didn't track his runner, which I think was Morgan Rogers. Great point. He didn't. Um, but you know, when you've got so many different runners to track, you are giving players a problem because you're like Andy Pearson has apparently said, liquid football, it is kind of like that. It's like, you know, if you ever tried to mop up a spillage on a worktop, you'll go one way with the spillage and there's something going the other way. Do you then blame the sponge because it hasn't gone both ways? The point was, I really liked Teo Eden's involvement in it and it was mm-hmm. simple. You know, it was just a nice, simple take the ball look and then play it back. Um, obviously George's flick. I mean, look, George Grant, I saw people talking about him being Premier League quality. And I think in terms of his flicks, his tricks and his technique, I don't think there's any doubt that George Grant could easily play for a Brighton and Hove Albion, Mm. somebody like that. Um, It was a lovely little flick. But, you know, those flicks are only lovely if at the same time you... um, you know, you you can finish them off and you can do something with them or the other player reads them. And that certainly happened. Um, Morgan Rogers, great cross, a little bit fortunate. And McGrandall's, you know, great finish from him. Yeah, I think obviously McGrandall's, um, McGrandall's finish was was a, a good one. But I think the, the there was a moment in the build-up where, um, you know, Steve's obviously saying that, uh, you know, Mr. Evans is obviously saying that Rogers isn't being picked up. But I think... Um, Tom Hopper's movement before the goal was actually really impressive um, because he kind of draws a defender away and then because Morgan's not being picked up by his, you know, by the left back, the, the, the player that's marking Tom Hopper then has to kind of, you know, he then has to run and cover and it's like, well, it it's just that movement and the, the you know, the, the pace and the ability that the lads have got at the moment. That's It's the awareness and the vision. And I know we spoke a while ago about... Um, I can't remember which goal it was, but, you know, things where like, like TJ, sorry, where Teo Eden was making a good run um, to draw defenders away and, and allowing players space. I think there's a lot more at the minute that we, we can't see um, potentially due to, you know, watching on, on iFollow or Sky or whatever. But when you when you see those moments happening, you just think, actually, yeah, the, the, there's a lot of coaching a lot of drilling that's going on t- into these players and and having that ability to make those movements and allow those passes to be played um I, I just thought it was a wonderful move and i was you know i was really chuffed that when the ball did land you know for for connor he just struck it really sweetly because it was it, it was just a, a 
brilliant goal. And like you say, I think after that, there was that um, almost that feeling of, right, well, we, we can sit back now. We can soak up the pressure. We can um, not kind of, I don't know, not, not play it safe, but it was definitely right. Well, you know, you, you can come at us. And I think we knew that if they came at us, we would have the, the pace to hit them on the break. Um which is essentially what happened for the third goal, um, which we'll, you know, when Dan's come on to. But um, let's talk about our um, our penalty because uh, can I talk I, about the rest of the first half just before we move on? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, because I just think it's really interesting that we kind of we've covered our goal and then glossed over and said, well, we, you know, we soaked up pressure. And in actual fact, we did because in the first half we had two shots, one on target. Um, mm. So you know. We can talk about the goal all we want, but we do also have to be um, aware of the fact that we we were under the cost at times. Gillingham had eight shots, four on target uh, in the first half. They had more possession. Now, bear in mind, we're a possession-based team and they're the, the long ball team. Um, so I thought that was really interesting because we, we had to work hard as a defensive unit. And I think you know we saw that in the early stages of the season. Um, we saw that we were, you know, we've kept plenty of clean sheets with Alex Palmer having some good performances as well. But it's the first time I think we've come under an aerial bombardment from a long ball team who genuinely are quite good at playing the long ball. Now, Wimbledon were relatively um, long ball, but not quite as um, as aggressive with it, I don't think. When you're aiming towards mm. the head of Ollie Palmer, you know, he's, he's an average in the air. If Dane Oliver isn't, he's, he's all elbows. Um, and I think that it showed that side of it. I did call it, I think, on Match Day Live, potentially, that I didn't think Lewis Monsman would come straight back into the side. Something told me that we, we would need that old-school defensive partnership um, not yeah, it's no disrespect to Lewis. He's a he's a, he's a great centre half, um, but I think with Jackson and Walsh, they are more likely to have experienced uh, a tactic like Gillingham's. And I'm not talking about it disparagingly because we found a lot of success mm-hmm. not playing all that dissimilar. We yeah, really no, didn't absolutely. play all that dissimilar. You know, look to stick the ball on Big Verdane like we used to stick it on Big John or Big Matt Reed, but then get your skillful runners, get your Jordan Grahams and your, your Callum Slattery's coming from midfield and your Carl Dempsey, who I thought had a good game for them as well. You get them running in and around. And you even go back as far as Keith Alexander, you know, where it would be, get, you know, there's a reason Dean Cropper started more games in our 2002-03 season than Simon Yeo did, because the ball sticks to Big Dean Cropper much more than it does to little Simon Yeo. It's not about goals all the time. Um, so I, I thought that was really interesting that you know, let's whilst we're talking about a three nil win, I don't think that we should ever then underestimate um, the uh, what what the opposition kind of put us under because it did show as you touched on at the top of the show a real different side to what we do, um, but without that kind of defining incident that changed it. So we were very adaptive throughout the game. So sorry, go on. What what are you going to talk about? No, I mean uh, there was there was two points that um, that kind of came up. I mean, I I personally felt that uh, that one of the the moments was, I mean, it, it was the challenge from uh, from Bedain Oliver on I think it was on Joe Walsh, and it was like you've got Lee Hendry on commentary spitting feathers that it should have been a red. It was never a red card. Like it was, I, I think that was a case of a talking point being brought up because they needed to have something to talk about at halftime. Um, and I, I I think it was if you see it in real time from distance as he comes through the challenge the studs are up so mm. you start then talking about a red card um, but it was I'll be honest it was barely a yellow 
was barely yeah. a yellow card. It was barely a foul. It was to be. I actually think the intent was there for it to be a serious foul. Um, but because he's a striker and he's bad at tackling, tackle, yeah, yeah he, he got it all wrong, uh, and therefore it wasn't a foul. And I think actually he probably did intend to hurt the player. And you know, let, while we're talking about fouls, let's not gloss over George Grant's in the first minute on Slattery. You know, that mm. wasn't a, that was a particularly tasty challenge. We gave as good as we got last night, and considering we were bullied there last year, that was something that I think we should be proud of as well. Yeah, absolutely. It was. Um, I think you know without delving into the cliches i think the guys knew that it was going to be a physical you know physical game and i i always love that phrase when players say it's so, oh, you know it's a physical game or it's a different type of game it's like just just say it, you know just oh we're going to get you know going to get smacked from pillar to post it's like yeah but um i mean obviously then you know it comes on to the second half and i think um i think it was another one of those instances where um the opposition started to tire a little bit maybe um and we sort of started to capitalise and uh, the, the view on the penalty, I mean, I think it's probably a soft one, but the guy did have his hands up and he did pull Brennan back a little bit. I mean, Steve's there, you know, Steve Evans is, is on the on the radio afterwards saying it was a dive and it was a you know terrible decision and all the rest of it. But I mean, you can see where he's coming from because after the contact's made, there's a little gap before Brennan goes down and he does go down quite spectacularly. But the contact's made. And if, if contact's made in the area at that stage, you know, it's a penalty. Um, and yeah, I mean, your view on the incident, really. Um, yeah, I, I'm yeah, I'm not just disagreeing for disagreeing sake, but if contact's made in the area, it's not necessarily a penalty. It's got to be a contact that, that makes a foul. Because if it's just contact being made that brings a penalty, um, they should have had four or five with with Bedain Oliver being held onto. Um, I don't think it's a penalty in a in a month of Sundays. Um, I really don't. Johnson's Brennan's Brennan's gone round him. The lad's put his hand on his shoulder. I, do you know what I mean? If if that mm. sort of contact sends you over, I fall over every single time I go into Lincoln and walk through the shops when we're not on the lockdown because someone brushes into me with more force than that. So it's not a penalty. I'm not criticising Johnson because he's felt contact. He probably feels he's going to go down. Um, he's won us more penalties than um, he than he's been fouled. I don't know the correct way to kind of term that. Mm. But do you know what I mean? He's probably won us more penalties than the opposition have given us if that makes sense in mm. the you know early doors, I think there was one or two. I think Plymouth was one that was dubious, but at the same time, I think he suffered more fouls in the area that have not been a penalty. Yeah. Um, and in recent weeks, you know, okay, I know we got two against Doncaster, both stone walls. Um, but in the weeks leading up to that, there was three or four occasions where I thought we didn't get a penalty when we should, these things even themselves out. But if we're on the end of that decision, um, I, I'd be, I'd be furious because mm. you know, he's gone to ground very easily. But the penalty didn't change the game for me. And I yeah. I, I appreciate that at 1-0, there's a chance. But at 2-0 with, you know, 32 minutes to go, if you, if, if you were in with a chance of getting back and winning the game when you're 1-0 down, you're in with a chance of at least drawing the game when you're 2-0 down. Do you know what I mean? Because you still got to score two goals to win it when you won the lot. So at 2-0 up, you score two goals, you still take something from the game anyway. So, you know, mm. and let's not forget, we'd, we'd, we hit the bar... Yeah. probably a minute before the penalty. So yeah, yeah. We, we were in the ascendancy in the second half, no yeah. doubt at all. Yeah, I mean, it was... Um, yeah, I, I don't think there was any doubt that 
we would have gone on to to score more even without the penalty. Um, like you say, we're in the ascendancy. We're, we're getting to that stage where we're probably going to, you know, get at least one more. Um, but it was nice to see. Uh, it was nice to see George Grant kind of shaking off the, the you know, the shadow of last week. Um, and uh, and and putting a you know second penalty in a, in the space of a few days away. Um, obviously one was in a, a shootout, but yeah. Um, Solid penalty straight down the middle. I know that's what a lot of people were clamouring about, you know, not doing last week, but it was, it'll do him, you know, do his confidence the world of good. And I think it was the fact that he, you know, his reaction to it was, um, well, it said it all really, didn't it? Yeah, it did. Um, it was, he had to get back on on the horse. It was quite amusing how Mike Appleton said in his pre match interview, um, you know, he, he'll stay on penalties. He's got one more chance. Yeah. You know what? When we got it, when we got the penalties against Doncaster, I thought that we wouldn't miss both. Yeah, you know, I was really nervous when we took both of them. I didn't actually think George was going to miss last night at all. And sometimes you look at a goalkeeper and you think he's going to save this or he's not going to save this, and you can just see confidence. You mm. saw it with Balcom last week. There was confidence. You didn't feel the keeper could be beaten. Whereas I looked at their keeper last <clears throat> last night, and he's a decent keeper, Jack Bonham. I think mm. he was a Bristol Rovers, really highly rated keeper. Might have been on loan there after being at Brentford, I'm not sure. Um, but he was a keeper that I got. That I would have always love to have seen us sign, but he mm. didn't look like he was going to save it. And George Grant didn't look like he was going to miss it. I mean, Grant was exceptional last night. Yeah, yeah. He, he didn't get man of the match, but he had a great game. Love to see him in that advanced role. Um, you know, you stifle him when you put him in the six or the four, rather. I've been told six is actually a central defender, and it should be four that's the defensive midfielder. So, yeah, okay. you lose you lose it when Grant goes in the four role. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it was um, it was quite, you know, it was, like I say, it was quite good to see that. And I think we've, we've mentioned it on here before, that when you have somebody like Liam Brickett back in the team, it just frees George Grant up to do what he does best. And I think he, you know, having um, having seen, you know, Brids come back into the side, He's been able to do that a lot more over the past couple of games, and it's. Um, I thought he was fantastic last night as well. Um, Bridcut. Uh, well, George, I thought oh. Bridcut. I, th- I thought Bridcut was good. Um, I think the. I think the past couple of games, he's he's uh, he's ridden that line of of passion and aggression quite uh, quite quite closely. I would say um, he's obviously you know he's picked up. I think we were talking about it. Uh, me and Rachel talking about it last night about how many yellow cards is it before he gets suspension? And it's like, well, I think he's now on three since Christmas. Um, yeah, they reset in February. They reset in February. Ah, oh, okay, right, okay. That's, I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was January that you know beginning of the year that he, they reset. I think he picked up. But somebody said February last night because he, he picked up his fifth against. I want to say Doncaster. Right, um, okay. Which I think was his fifth of the season, but it had already reset, and I think it resets last. You know, first first February first. I think it resets. Ah, okay. I, I thought I, it was I, a month before, yeah, but yeah. I actually thought Bridcut was exceptional last night, um, mm. and I, I think you know so many, um, so many pundits and ex-players will look at him doing what he's doing, and know that he is a footballer's footballer. You know, he's the sort of player teammates love to have. Yeah, he's always in the referee's ear. Yeah, every time there was a stoppage in play, you look at Liam Bridcut; he's there on the referee, mm. and he's the sort of player that you know opposition fans look at. I look at that moaning bugger, but I tell you what. He, he, he 
manages he helps manage a game mm. and a weaker referee can be influenced by that and whether that's right or wrong it's small margins you've always got to try and do it you know and you don't have to be as blatant as steve evans um kind of is you know it isn't all got to be about anger but yeah. i just think you know bridcut is always dropping deep he always wants the ball at one point he popped up on the left wing okay he, he, the, the booking he got which was for the foul on jordan graham joe you know graham i mean they put more crosses into the box by the way, than we did. Um, many, many more crosses into the box. They had, I think it was um, 11 in the second half. Six of them were accurate. accurate. So they were getting into the areas and putting the ball in from wide areas. It wasn't all long ball. Um, and Jordan Graham is, is what a player that boy is. Bridders knew if he gets to the byline and pulls it back, when you're pulling a ball back from the byline to a big centre forward, that's more dangerous than delivering it into the six yard box from you know level with the 18 yard line. Because when you're level with the 18 yard line, the keeper, the defenders, they can see it coming. It's in front of them. But when it's coming back, that's a really that's tough to defend. You give the keeper a massive, massive um, issue uh, and decision to make. So I thought that was a, a clever foul. You know, and there was there was a couple of them. Their boy did it to was it Grant? He just held Grant back at one point. We see in more of those fouls where, do you know what, we don't need to kick. You, you, know, you just have to be a little bit cute with it. I don't yeah. mind him picking up the yellow cards if it's, you know, he's, we're doing something right. Six wins in a row um, yeah. away from home. So, yeah, I, I, totally. I, I think, you know, it's, it, it was that it, it was just that thought that we had last night of, oh, Christ, yeah, is he, is he near a suspension? But yeah, he's, um, he, he had a solid game, as you say. I thought he was, uh, I thought he was really good as well. Um, so um third goal uh what I, I just think that was i think that was a wonderful piece of football by uh, by morgan rogers you know bringing it down what a beautiful touch to to do that and then um taking on a couple of men showing a little bit of strength a little bit of pace um and you know tom hopper doing what i think people want to see him be you know doing more uh he was you know that 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 goal you know that poacher that was near on the line um solid goal couldn't really have any complaints about it i think there was a couple of people saying that uh, you know tom hopper looked offside but on the replays he, he wasn't but then there was another instance where that was the other way around a few minutes later um yeah i was i was we keep saying it and it's it almost sounds patronizing but you know i was, I was chuffed for tom hopper to, to get his goal because again he's doing a hell of a lot of work um off the ball and uh you know allowing players to to get into positions and and doing that hold up role really well um and i just think it was uh it was his just rewards really yeah i think uh, it was all about brennan johnson and morgan rogers johnson i think was was the player that found rogers with the ball brilliant mm-hmm. from rogers i mean that first takedown from him I think anybody other than Morgan Rogers lets that ball drop and then he looks to try and take it on the outside. Mm. Uh, But yeah, he's taken it. He's come on the inside. Lovely bit of skill. I think he got a a tiny bit of luck as he got into the area, but there was, you know, good shot at the keeper, keeper parries. And it just goes to show if you don't hold and you parry into the danger area, uh, you've got to be running in. There's been a lot of criticism, I think, not just of Tom, but of our attack in general, certainly through um, October and November, where we were struggling for goals at times that Mm. we weren't gambling we weren't getting into those kind of danger areas when the, when shots were dropping um and we did yeah it's, it's, it's a poacher's finish my my first instinct was offside 
side. Mm. But again, as you said, subsequently that was proven not. I don't mind being proven wrong. Um, but I didn't scream offside. I screamed, um, get the fuck in, basically. So, um, <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it, was, uh, it was nice. I think it was at, at that point I feared that we were going to run riot. And uh, when I say feared, I meant was looking forward to. Um, but I thought that we, we might run riot. But at the same time, I kept looking in the corner at 3 0 and then watching the balance of play and wondering, how the hell have we done that? Because people used to say Lincoln City were clinical back in October and November, you know, when we stuck six past Forest Green mm. and everybody saw it because it was on the FA Cup and the pundits were going, that's what Lincoln do. I think Sam Allardyce said they've got goals from everywhere. Mm. And in actual fact, going into that game, I think we'd had five matches and we'd probably scored once from open play or something silly like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so it, you know, there was that false impression of the fact that we were clinical, mm. whereas at the minute, we look clinical, but then anyone that watched Doncaster last weekend would say that we're not. Mm. But when you create, I always said, if you're creating chances, it, it doesn't really matter if you're missing them. And that's why I like XG. But and I, I, know that, <laughs> I know I mention it every week. There we go. There's your, there's your XXG, which yeah. is your expected XG mentions. Yeah, your X, your XXG, XXG for Gary is at least one per pod. No, but I do because <laughs> XG points out yeah, it's an indication of, how, of creating quality chances. And it doesn't matter if you're underperforming your XG, because if you keep creating quality chances, eventually you'll score. Um, and, and certainly with a Michael Appleton side, you, we are getting better and better every week because the players are getting to know each other and when i saw regan paul come on last night i like the idea of him coming on drip feeding them in because you know that regan paul max sanders we're going to talk about and cohen bramble as well you couldn't drop them straight into the side you can't say right my new player is going to start straight away because that's not lincoln city that's not michael appleton we're about process we're about function we're about as we were talking about earlier on, the movement off the ball, the little runs, the understanding, and that only comes through time. Um, Michael said it at the beginning of the season, we're only going to get better. We were top of the league at the time, and, and you know, secretly quite a few people probably scoffed and went, how does it get any better than this? Well, you've got 20-odd games to find out. Yeah, totally. And I think um, you, you know what you're saying there about drip-feeding them in, I think having, um, having Morgan Rogers essentially proved that last night i think there was a few people criticizing him after the doncaster game saying that he um you know he didn't quite look like he was on it he didn't look like he was fitting in but you know give him another week on the training pitch with michael and the lads and you saw what that did to him last night i thought he was you know another fantastic performance last night so good point very good point uh, um so um, you've mentioned it there. Let's uh, let's talk about the transfers briefly uh, before we uh, sort of go. Can you know. can I just touch very briefly on Gillingham? Yes. Um, just because of my scout up and I, I, was this you know, lots of people saying after the game about hoofball, about big boot forward and all that sort of stuff. And I, you know me, I like to see if the stats back up the uh, the the the, the, con- the preconceptions and the the, the suppos- suppositions. Um, so in actual fact, in terms of forward passes, we played more than mm-hmm. them, which you would expect. Um, we played 153, 67% accuracy. They played 117, 63% accuracy. There's an index uh, on Scout that tells you the number of direct balls that have been played, which um, is long balls. And now typically it isn't loading up for me. Um, <laughs> but they their long pass percentage was 21.75. So you know, one in every five passes was actually a long ball. Um, ours was 13.48. Now that's interesting because that's actually higher than 
many of the games we've played this season. I mean, you even go back to, um, I think the last time we played that many long passes was when we beat Northampton. But when we beat Northampton 4-0, we played 22% long passes. So we actually played more long passes in our 4-0 win against Northampton than Gillingham did percentage-wise um, against us. I mean, that you know, percentage can can be adjusted depending on how many passes you're actually playing, how much possession you actually have. Uh, but I found that really interesting. Um, and then also in the stats, and this is something we do well and other teams do not, it was uh, counter-attacks. Okay. And counter-attacks with shots. We had six counter-attacks last night with two shots. People say it's what we do. Um, but in actual fact, Gillingham had none. Now, we had no counter-attacks against Doncaster, which goes to show that they were a team that came, sat back and defended. Um, Portsmouth had no counter-attacks against us, which was really surprising because obviously they were sitting back and defending. Um, but it's something we do well. Six was as many, I think, as we've had um, in more or less any game since Christmas. So it just goes to show that we were trying to let them have possession, I think, a little bit more yesterday under the illusion that they might not know what to do with it. And whilst they did tend to go a little bit longer, their actual long passes, they didn't play as many as you might think. The ones they did play were rudimentary long passes that made you go, oh, I can't watch that every week. But what's the difference between their centre-half pumping it to the Vidane Oliver on the edge of the 18-yard box, or Joe Walsh pinging it 35 yards out wide to Teo Eden. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're both long passes. And in actual fact, you're pinging it to Vidane Oliver and he's looking to head it on somewhere. Whereas yesterday, quite a few of our crossfield passes actually in the first half went out of play. Um, so just, you know, it, I think it's easy to turn our nose up at a team like Gillingham when we're, we're when they've got Steve Evans, when they are, you know, a little bit more basic in terms of the long passes that they're playing. Um, but in actual fact, we're playing nice football, but we can mix it up as well. So it reflects well on us. And the final thing is another um, metric on Scout called smart passes, um, which I assume is a, you know, a, a cute pass, which is through two players, not you know, eyes the other way, that sort of stuff, smart passes. Um, we played five yesterday, three accurate. Gillingham didn't play a single smart pass. Now, if you go back all the way through the season, um, in our 4-0 win against Northampton, there were no smart passes from either team. And there were no smart passes by Wig from on Wigan's behalf when we beat them. But in actual fact, you know, this this kind of smart passes, there are teams that do it really well. We we see it every week against somebody. We'll play a couple of smart passes, they'll play them. Against Doncaster, we played seven three, which made it. Against Northampton when we beat them two one, we played eight. Uh, against Accrington in the EFL Trophy, we played 15 smart passes, seven of them accurate. Gillingham didn't play any yesterday. And I think that was the difference between the two sides in that Gillingham's tactics would win you League Two. Uh, but if you want to win League One, you've got to be smarter. And whilst they're a decent side and they won't go down, they're not as, as long ball, in my opinion, as, as Northampton were. They were more effective when they did play it. Uh, but I just don't think they, you know, they just don't quite have that spark that we did, and that's why a game should have really maybe been one nil on the balance of play. XG suggests two one might have been a fair result to us. That's why a game that was close in terms of um, actual gameplay looks like a resounding thumping on paper. Yeah. Now, now we can move on. Sorry. Yeah. No. no, no. I think that's that's perfectly fine. I mean, it was it, it's interesting to see that because, it, like you said, if if it backs it up, um, if, if the stats back it up, then it's it's certainly interesting. But it's in, it's just strange to see how people's perceptions um, 
you know influence how they how they see the game um, as opposed to the you know the, the stats on paper so uh right um yeah so we'll, we'll we'll talk through the rest of the week um now i mean obviously you know we said we touch on donny it was a poor game we don't know how we managed to lose it that'll do um but um it was a good game sorry yeah it was it was a good game poor result um no. we just don't know how we managed to lose it um then came the transfer window and you know they made us wait <laughs> um it sounds like one of the deals was uh was done for for max sanders at two minutes past or two minutes to, to 11 was it do you think you said two minutes to 11 was the confirmation that came back um to our club secretary i actually got uh, an email i actually got a whatsapp from somebody at the club but i, I kind of i I, they give me a heads up obviously so that i can prepare articles uh, mm. and there was a discussion um at about 11 o'clock where they said look you know cohen bramble will be announced at and i think it was half past 10 so there you go uh, we've also got max sanders in for a medical he, this was probably at um, sorry at about quarter past 10 i think this was um mm. max sanders is in for a medical they take it takes about 45 minutes it's touch and go whether we're going to get this one done or not uh, and then it got to 11 o'clock and I, I hadn't heard anything. That's why I then kind of put on Twitter. I don't know whether to go to bed. And then mm. literally I got the uh, the WhatsApp message and it was yeah with a circle 2258. And it was I think it was squeaky bum time um, but we went <laughs> through the door. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, let's um, let's let's run through uh, the, the transfers then. So obviously Regan Paul um, was signed um not on deadline day, but uh, it was signed previously, but we haven't spoken about him on the, on the podcast. Um, certainly a sign in that I think uh, we, you know, was identified as, as a position that we needed to strengthen um, particularly for the end of the season. Uh, you know, if, if TJ goes back to Spurs or well, when TJ goes back to Spurs, I should say. Um, but looking at, I think you, you've said it in the past that the, the easiest way to judge assigning um if you're not familiar with them is to look at the opposition fans reactions and the reactions to regan paul leaving uh, from mk don's fans was not exactly positive um i think they they seemed a bit gutted to to watch him go um obviously they had some other business in the transfer window which kind of you know i think it was the equivalent of someone jangling the keys while the dad left you know sort of the mum's jangling the keys as dad's walking out the front door it's like well you know something bad's happening but look shiny um but uh yeah i I think regan paul um solid signing and uh you know obviously making his debut last night didn't have a huge amount of time to um to make an impact but uh yeah definitely definitely a, a positive signing from from michael and the team yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm Regan Paul, somebody that I've known of um, and, and kept an eye on from his Newport County days. Uh, he was really good against us when we lost at Newport in the penultimate game of the 2018-19 season. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> he'd had he'd made a good impression while he'd been on loan there as well. Then he left Man United that summer um, and went to MK. I was gutted when he went to MK. He was just the sort of player that I would love to have seen us sign. We had Neil Erdley at the time. And as we know, you know, Michael... Uh, uh, not Michael. <coughs> excuse me. Danny didn't you didn't have backup fullbacks. So you know, whether we were ever in for Regan or not, I don't know. I think the issue at MK is that he wasn't playing right back. There was no scope for him to play right back regularly. They wanted to play him at right centre back. And that's a bit like saying you know, Max Melbourne's got to play at left centre back. You're not going to play him at left back if he gets somebody come in who's mm-hmm. top of the league that he's in, saying come and play left back for us. You're going to go yeah, all right. Um, 
so you know, I think that's helped us attract Regan. I, I don't. I would think having McGrandles and Joe Walsh here has probably helped. He's going to know them from last season. He's yeah, well, 22 years old. Okay, he only played a minute of Europa League football, but he's played Europa League football. He was called up to the Wales squad, and uh, and and obviously didn't play. So he's a, he's a Wales under 21 international. He only needs to look at Brennan Johnson and Joe Morrell to see that playing for Lincoln City can help you get international recognition. Uh, bold statement coming up. He will get international recognition while he's playing at Lincoln City. Next season, he'll be our number one right back. We've brought him in now because he will act as cover. Um, we've got a lot of games coming up thick and fast where he will be able to play. He can't play in the EFL Trophy, but you know, give him a couple of weeks and you know, we'll see what Morgan Rogers can do in a couple of weeks. He'll settle in. He'll get into the rhythm of what we do. I would imagine he is one of the players whose workload is at a level that Michael expects it to be. Because if you read the, the, the reports earlier in the week, he said there were one or two that came in and we need to get the uh, their numbers up kind of thing. You know, We've had a look at their loads and they're not quite there. The fact Regan Paul was the player that came off the bench suggests to me that actually MK Don's workloads are there. Uh, but he'll be a big player for us in the long term. Uh, and I think he's a really good signing and, and he offers that a little bit of flexibility, but without being so versatile that he won't be able to define one position as his own. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, I think you, you know when you say in there about, um, you know, about that, that long term uh, position, I think. All three of the players that uh, that came in over the past week, they are those longer term goals. And that's obviously the fact that, you know, it's a, you know obvious statement to make when you consider that we bought them in on, um, you know, on, on relatively long term contracts. But uh, the uh, second one of the of the window, um, the first of deadline day, I believe, was uh, was Cohen Bramall. Um I'll be honest, not a player that I, I, I was really aware of. Um, and this is the same with, with Max Sanders. Um, so kind of looking at uh, looking at some stuff and uh, speaking to somebody that, uh, you know, that I know that's an Arsenal fan and he follows the youth team in there quite closely as well. Um, sounds like he's a prospect. Um, it sounds like, you know, really, really interesting player and uh, he's definitely one to, you know, to get excited about. And obviously, I think I know you mentioned on Twitter this week about when people, you know, bring in somebody and everybody just immediately reacts because, oh, it's an amazing signing. But like, I think I think looking at looking into it a little bit, um, it's an intriguing one for me. It's definitely one that uh, I, I look at and go, OK, I can see, you know, I can see why we've signed him and I can see why, um, you know, and why Michael wants to to invest in these players, um, and again the same with Max. But uh, yeah, Cohen Bramall. That's, um, your thoughts on on signing Cohen? Yeah, I mean the player that I was again very aware of. I remember him moving from Headnesford to Arsenal because it was quite big news. Obviously, I was writing for Football League World and stuff at the time. And it was quite big news for a non-league player to move to the Premier League. Um, I think it's while Danny was obvious, well, it was while Danny was in charge as well. So it was one of those where it kind of reinforced that belief that some non-league players really are that good. Uh, mm. you know, it was another kind of Jamie Vardy in the making story. Okay, it didn't quite work out for him in terms of uh, first team appearances at Arsenal, but he's almost certainly a player that benefited from being in and around there under 23s. I think he made his debut in front of something like 60,000 people in Sydney in one of those you know pointless trophies that you play for at the beginning <laughs> yeah, of the yeah. season. Um, I, I, he 
I saw a bit about him when he went on loan to Birmingham. It didn't quite work out there, but I seem to recall Birmingham at the time were tied with FFP uh, regulations. They couldn't make permanent signings and they were kind of, you know, they were sinking a little bit. So it was always going to be hard to go in there. But you know, crucially, this is a guy who was loaned to a championship club and they still gave him five games. So that hints at his quality. Came on trial with us, I'm told, at the beginning of the 2019-20 season. Uh, that passed me by. I think he came on against Lincoln United and possibly in one of our other friendlies. But we were never going to be able to guarantee him first team football because we'd got Harry Toffolo. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously it was tough had had a great season for us uh, over the course of uh, over the course of the League 2 title win so it was always going to be tough for Cohen to, to earn himself a deal uh, went to Colchester had a brilliant season for Colchester last year their fans were raving about him made Brentford interested uh, at the turn of the year um, Reading were interested as well so I, kind of, I like it I like the fact that we've signed a dedicated left back uh, Teo Eden isn't he's a midfielder he's been playing brilliantly at left back by the way um, another player who I think will will go on and have a good career in the championship. But this now gives us dedicated fullbacks, and I think that adds a balance, especially when you consider the way that we play. And I listened to the interview from Cohen Bramble last night um, that he gave to, to Matchday Live. He said, you know, I'm a player that likes to underlap, overlap. Um, and that kind of that makes me think of our play now. And you can almost see him, you know, going on the outside of George Grant, getting a little reverse ball on the inside of Brennan Johnson or Morgan Rogers. You can picture it. You can picture that type of player uh, in our setup. Mm-hmm. So again, on paper looks very good. It's like I always say, you can only judge a new sign in a year and a half into his deal as to whether it's actually been a good one or not. But I think it looks like a, another solid sign in for the future. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And, the um you know the, the the icing on the cake if you like was um was Max Sanders and again um I I fully hold my hands up to to not really uh being overly aware of Max but the the headline you know Lincoln signing a you know twenty is it twenty two I think twenty two yeah, year olds so. yeah you know signing a twenty two year old on a permanent deal from a, a Premier League club. That's the second time that you know at the time that Fulham were, were you know Fulham were Premier League, but that's the second time since Michael's taken over that that's happened, um, which is just it's the kind of thing that didn't used to happen uh, to Lincoln and um, Max's interview when he uh, you know when he signed was one where he said you know I'm a, a ball player midfielder I like to dictate the play and it's like okay I think you you picked up on it as well and you said right he is he's He's, you know, the long-term Liam Bricker replacement. I think it was a, um, it's a shrewd move. And it, again, Brighton fans seem like they're pissed off that he's gone. You know, there's a few people saying he was good enough for the first team, and hopefully that's the case. You know, we can see him making a, a big impact in uh, in our squad. But um, yeah, interesting signing. Yeah, it's the third time as well because Anthony Scully came from West Brom, uh, West Ham, rather. Of course, yeah, sorry, yeah, of course. Uh, because I actually liken the the Max Sanders signing to the Anthony Scully signing in that it came through on or around the deadline. It was one where he's come from an under-23 side. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's come with a glowing reference from those supporters. And by the way, it is easy for Premier League supporters to go, he's brilliant in our under-23s, and then that player 
you know, not make it in the seniors. So at 23 football is very different. But I know Wimbledon fans really liked him. He was on loan, loan there last year. Uh, they believed that his next move was the championship. The media believed his next move was alone in the championship before he stepped up to the Brighton first team. So he is the heir apparent to Liam Bridcut long term. I think he'll be our holding midfielder. Um, big bonus that he can play in the EFL trophy. Mm-hmm. I would not surprise me uh, to see him make a debut a week on Tuesday against Sunderland because Liam Bridcott, I don't, with the greatest respect, we've got to wrap him up in cotton wool a little bit. I think he's crucial to everything that we do. I think that he will be a critical part of any promotion to the championship. Uh, Liam Bridcott was essential to that, but he won't play Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. It's like with Michael O'Connor in the League Two season and Lee Frecklington as well to a degree. These are players that you've got to think about protecting. And this is a unique season. I don't think there's a Tuesday without a game looking through the fixtures. You know, I think it's two or three maybe between now and the end of the season. Phenomenal workload. Um, really good, actually, that we played Friday and got an extra an extra sort of few hours break for, for Tuesday's game. But Max Sanders with Regan, with Regan Paul, with um, Robbie Gotts leaving, we, we needed a little bit of a holding midfielder. And mm-hmm. up until the last couple of weeks, I actually thought Conor McGrandles was, was likely to be more of a holding midfielder, but I think he's proven that not to be the case since he's come back from injury. So Max Sanders is a little bit different to George Grant, James Jones, Conor McGrandles. But with all the games coming up, I think all of the signings are critical. I think all of them would have been made in the summer, promotion or no promotion, uh, to the championship. I think they were all coming in over the summer. I think we will see slower um, and more restrained summer business. But you know, talk about preparation. You, you, you top a League One um, in, a, in a battle for promotion to the championship. And instead of going for broke and, and putting everything on the next 20 games, it appears that in actual fact, we're still planning for the long term. And for me, it's just a sign of a very well-run uh, football club. Yeah, 100%. Um, it's it, It's a... <sighs> It's the complete antithesis to what we've seen in, um, you know, and I think we've made reference to it before, but that uh, the Netflix documentary about Sunderland, you know, the, you've got transfer deadline days coming in. They're desperate for a striker and the chairman just loses his head and says, you know, sod it off a three and a half million, four million from it. So we would never do that. And, you know, the, the club would never do that. They'd never panic at a signing. I think every, everything that's been done in terms of transfer business so far, it seems like the targets have been identified well ahead of schedule. And, um, you know, if, if we can't get somebody, we can't get them. It's sort of that, you know, it's that, that attitude of if, you know, we can get, we'll, we'll get what we can afford. We'll get what we can, um, can achieve. And I think it's just been, yeah, exciting. I think we said this last week, there's not really been, there's not really been a dud, has there in terms of transfers that have come in? No, I don't think so. so I think last season we did look to make a couple of, cover signings the likes of Alan Sheehan uh, mm-hmm. was certainly a cover signing and, and arguably a couple of the loan players were as well but I think in, when, when you look at permanent signings we've certainly been done we've certainly done our homework uh, a year ago if you'd asked me which one I thought might be a dud I would have said Tom Hopper being brutally honest uh, but I don't think he has been at all I think he's done very very well Zach Elbazetti I still think he's one for the future Max Melbourne was already at the club. He's gone. Alex Bradley was already at the club. He's gone. Alan Lewis was already at the club. So the outs have still been, you know, the the last remnants of um, the Danny Cowley squad. So respect to George Grant and Harry Anderson for being the two that have stuck around. We've got we've got a strong strong squad now. 
Um, I think one, yeah. as you've just said, I think you've said, I might, you might not have done. I switched off a bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, under Danny Cowley, we made signings to cover the six months. And I think about James Brown coming in. I think about Lee Angle coming in the second time. We always made signings with the next six months in line, in mind. And I think that's because when we were in League Two, the aim was to get out of it. Yeah. Whereas now, yeah, the aim isn't to, long term. Yes, of course, the aim is to get out of League One. The aim is to be in the Championship. But I think if you were to ask the club now, um, is that your sole focus? The the answer would be our sole focus is to be in the Championship in a couple of years' time. Okay, if that happens at the end of season this season, phenomenal. But circumstances won't change or waver the uh, the recruitment. You know, we're still always looking for the future. And it would have been easy to look at the current situation and go, actually, do you know what? And OK, this player, maybe we wouldn't, but it's the the um, the notion of it. Marcus Baddison's available. We've got six months. We could do with a little bit more quality on the left. Bring him in on loan. Omar Bogle, bring him in. You know, there isn't any of that. There's no short term deals to plug holes. Um, I like that. I think that shows a degree of sensible management from Michael, from Jez, from Liam, from just across the board. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, right. OK, so next bit that we need to talk about, um, we'll, we'll discuss the whole game briefly. Um, I thought it was a solid performance on what turned out to essentially become a bog um, towards the end of the game. It was... Uh, I, I was genuinely surprised that we saw 90 minutes of football um, on that pitch. I, I thought it was going to, you know, possibly get cut, you know, called off midway through the second half. It didn't seem to let up with the rain. Um, I know Bub sent me a few photos of, of just how bad it was, and uh, yeah, I think the lads were were very obviously tiring towards the end of it. But I am absolutely chuffed to bits that um, a few days after, you know, penalty nightmare. Michael took the, uh, the the calculated risk, and he you know he said it was a risk that I wanted to take, and and put um, put Anthony Scully and George Grant on penalties four and five, which was uh, it's a bold move, isn't it? Yeah, it is a bold move. Sorry, I I, I, <laughs> I always seem a little bit distracted, but I've got so, a Huddersfield fan been messaging me on Twitter who I think believes I'm a lesbian, um, and. <laughs> I just got a notification while we were on. I'll come back to Hull in a minute. Um, so that yeah, there was a Huddersfield fan had made a comment on a, on the Gillingham uh, one of the Gillingham things yesterday about Lincoln were a great side. And I liked it, and he messaged me saying, um, "You know, thanks for liking my comment. You've got a great team." And I said, "Seems like a nice bloke." But the last two messages that he sent me have got a football and a rainbow after them, um, and I think he thinks that I am called Stacy because I've called it the Stacy West and he asked me if my partner likes football and I put no she's not a big fan and I think there he's assumed that I'm a lesbian um anyway <laughs> I mean the beard the beard would give it away yeah I think I ought to put a picture on there and see see how quickly he unfriends me uh that's a little <laughs> bit concerning like I'm not I'm not up for threesome lad cheers um yeah, so the whole game. Um, sorry, the Stacey West podcast, it's always professional, you can guarantee that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the, the pitch probably wasn't playable in places. Um, it, it was. It may even have been considered dangerous, but I, I, you get on with it, you play the game. I've seen games played in much, much worse in the past. It would be considered normal. 
So, yeah, big shout, Scully, George Grant taking the late penalties. I think it, it shows character. I think it's also good for them as well if you start allowing players to hide, uh, which I don't think either of them would. But if you do start doing that, then they can start hiding in open play as well. So it's just just reflective of the whole ethos. thought it was a really good game to change sides. I've said, I can't remember, Shrewsbury, wasn't it, when we played them and then we played them a couple of weeks later in the league um, yes. after the EFL Cup. I said it would be a very different game in the league. It'd be the same with Hull. Um, as long as the pitch holds up. But if we get the snow that keeps being forecast, you never know whether the game will even go ahead or not. So it'd be interesting. But it, it was nice to get through. It was morale building. It was a game I got more involved in than I felt than I have in a long time. Mm. Um, I was kind of sat here. I'd got, I went up to see Fee. She'd gone to bed after the penalties. And she said, are you all right? I, I'd got bloody damp patches under my armpits. I, do you know what I mean? I'd got so worked up about this game. <laughs> I was in a heightened state of excitement uh, just because I felt that we would lose the game going into it uh, because we had four subs. They had a, a subs bench packed with talent. We took the lead and then I thought we can hold on to this. They equalised and I thought we'd collapse. The game just kept swinging one way and the other. It was end to end. And then to go straight into penalties as well, uh, uh, then miss the penalties, then us miss the penalties and then get that level. It was just like, this is, uh, you, uh, well, it was it, just speechless. Hell of a shootout, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. I um, I was I was just sitting there thinking, why, why of all the ways that we could end this game after Saturday, why penalties? But uh, yeah, um, written in the stars. If you remember on this podcast, I think it was after the group game against Man City, I said we'll win this competition or we'll get to Wembley in this competition. I remember saying it because I felt it ever since the first kick against Scunthorpe I felt that we would uh, get to the final in this competition and the semi-final draw still allows that final to be Oxford versus Lincoln and mm. that would be the the EFL want this competition uh, to be high profile they want this competition to be popular if an under 21 team ever got to the final it would be a disaster we mm. saved this competition when we won the semi-final against Chelsea uh, and they desperately want, a, you know, they would love a story. They would love a, a you know, will Michael Appleton be the three-time unlucky or will Oxford be the three-time unlucky? Yeah. Huge game for us against Sunderland. It could well be Sunderland and Oxford in the final. I, I think Oxford will have too much for Tranmere. Yeah. Um, famous yeah. last words, maybe. But four <laughs> four good teams, no disrespect to Tranmere at all, because there, there are four teams that deserve to be at this stage Tranmere had a superb result against uh, Peterborough and if you look at the Peterborough side they had enough talent out they should have won that game Danny Lloyd uh, left Peterborough he's obviously he's been with us he's at Tranmere now and put the ball away to he was the one I think that got at least one of the goals that knocked him out mm. so it's easy to say oh we wanted Tranmere at home because they were league two but would we rather um, be the favourite or would we rather be kind of people think that we're an underdog? In actual fact, our away form is so good that away is probably a better draw than home. Mm. And when you look at Sunderland, their away form's great, but their home form's not all that special either. Mm. Yeah. So if you're going to draw Sunderland this season, you may as well go play them at, I nearly said Roker Park there, Jesus Christ. Oh, Roker Park, bloody hell. I Last time you, I remember hearing the name Roker Park was when I was at school. And I was going to say you, you were in nappies, I would imagine. <laughs> one of my um, one of my teachers was a massive Sunderland fan, and we used to have a bit of uh, you know we always used to have a bit of back and forth over which was the better team in red and white. Um, and I remember when they came to when they came to Central Bank in the cup. I think it was was it the FA Cup? 
Yeah, it was uh, 19... Was it the League Cup? No, it was FA Cup 99. Yes, yeah. yeah. And um, I, I seem to remember there being a controversial goal in that game. And um, he uh, he admitted after a while that they probably shouldn't have had it. But yeah, he, um, he always used to give out uh, Mars bars to people that would answer Sunderland-based questions, which probably explains the size I am now, to be honest. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah. One of, my, one, one of my best friends at secondary school was a big Sunderland fan. Mm. Uh, big big Sunderland fan and that was broke apart but that was a long while before you were talking 92 93 yeah. I remember collecting pro set cards with Marco Gabbiadini and Gary Bennett and uh, I think it was John Owers Gary Owers but, but yeah they're, they're home form they've um, they have won four lost four and drawn five at home so when you consider that that's what 13 games and they've only won four whereas we've won seven uh, of our 13 games at home so in actual fact, it's home form. Their away form is brilliant. They've won six, drawn five, and haven't been beaten. They've only scored four, uh, conceded four away from home, but they've scored 15, uh, sorry, conceded 15 at the Stadium Alight. Uh, so an away tie at Sunderland is not bad. I'd rather go there than I would Oxford, being, yeah. being entirely honest. Yeah, I mean, you know, particularly with no fans in the stadiums at the minute as well, it's uh, it's not going to be as intimidating as, uh, as it would have been last season in the league. So... Um, so yeah, what else is there to discuss? I mean, obviously we have, um, you know, we've got the, the league game at Hull this week. It, as we said, it will be a completely different, completely different, uh, situation to the trophy game. Um, I, I honestly don't know how to call this game. Um, it's going to be interesting is the only word I can think to describe it. Um, Whole kind of, you know, obviously where they are on merit, where where we are on merit, and it's going to be. I think a lot of people under um, underestimated Hull at the start of the season. Um, I know I did. Uh, I, I thought they would probably struggle in the league, but they've um, they've come in and they've done really well. They've, you know, they're looking like a really strong side. Um, but then so are we. So I'm I'm a little bit gutted that this is you know that Friday's game was the game on the telly rather than, you know, the, the, this one. I think this would be an amazing showcase of League Two. Um, and it is the first of, you know, obviously we've, we've still got to play Hull twice in the league. So I think, are they the only team that we've still got left to play twice? They're the only team that we haven't played as yet. Yeah, Gillingham. Yeah. It was that, they, those in Gillingham were the um, two that we hadn't played. Yeah. And we have played, I think it was in Northampton and Doncaster and Portsmouth we'd played twice. Yeah. So they are the only team we we've now played everybody because obviously we had played them in uh, we played Hull in the EFL trophy. In the trophy, yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, yeah, I, I, it's a tough game to call. Much depends. This is probably going to be going out around five o'clock. So by now we'll already know what the Burton Hull result is. And much depends on that because do you know what? If Burton do Hull and we go there and get a draw and we're in, yeah, that's a good place to be because mm-hmm. we don't need to win League One to get in the Championship. We just need to finish in the top two. So it doesn't matter what games in hand Doncaster have got, you know, promotion is still in our hands. I think given the the, the balance of the play on Tuesday, they're going to be the favourites for the game. But I also think that they've been hit with a couple of injuries. I may be wrong, but I think goal scorer Greg Doherty misses out. Uh, I know Gavin White misses out, who's a player that I was quite fearful of. So it's going to be really interesting to see what sort of squad they put out. They've got a great, great depth. They've got good depth. If Malik Wilkes is fit, he's going to be a real danger for them. Uh, so it's just yeah, 
interesting to see how it's going to go. Charlie's obviously quite keen about it. I don't know if you can hear him <laughs> in the background at all. Um, he's quite happy. Um, so it's going to be it's going to be a big game. It's going to be an exciting game. Um, hopefully, it will be in slightly better conditions than it was this week because I think our passing game needs a better pitch than that. Yeah. And a few heart and mouth moments uh, for for with some of our passes just looking like they stopped there was one moment I think where Alex Palmer took the ball back yeah. and he had to poke it away with his left foot after controlling it on his right foot such was the the quality of the pass but look, you go away and draw at Hall City that's a good result doesn't matter what anyone else does uh, a point there would be very good so you know, if we have a, a replay of the uh, of the result on Tuesday night which was one all after 90 minutes I don't think there'll be very many disappointed Lincoln fans yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, it's it's a thing, a thing that we've said over the past few weeks where I'd take a point, but we end up coming away with three. But I, I would absolutely take a point on there on Tuesday night. So, yeah. um, OK, uh, well, that's the games covered. I believe um, there is a little bit of news that you wanted to discuss that I'm not currently aware of because it's under embargo for 3 p.m. And um, we're going live with the podcast at five so we can talk about it. You sounded quite... Um uh, surprised there that there was something that you weren't aware of. Well, no, I know there's lots of things I'm not aware of, Cass. You know, <laughs> it's just like, there's a bit. Of I'm, even I'm not aware of. Even even Ben's not aware of it. Are we well, sure no, but normally I'm aware news? of. I'm at least aware of stuff that we discuss on the podcast. Well, you weren't aware that we'd signed Morgan Rogers uh, when we sold Zach Elbazetti, and that had happened two weeks before. Yeah, all right, I'll let you off with that. <laughs> I, I, I had a complete brain fart. <laughs> It was just hilarious. Sorry. You've uh, had that yeah. in the back pocket, haven't you? You've been waiting. No, it just occurred to me, to be honest. I'm sure there's more <laughs> things, better things in the back pocket, but I, I just haven't got them there. Um, no, it's just the, the club have released some iFollow figures uh, about viewing records that have been broken. Uh, and the game against Portsmouth last month was uh, a record away attendance. And it's obviously a virtual attendance for Lincoln fans with 2,299 um streams now bear in mind that we take i think eight pounds 33 from every 10 pounds as a club and a portion of it goes to the away club as an agreed away attendance which i think is around five or six hundred might be less you know for portsmouth on a tuesday night so there's a lot of money there for the club uh the doncaster game was also a record but including season ticket holders and bear in mind this is households so if you're talking you know, season season tickets you might have a husband a wife and two kids there's four season tickets but that would only be one household viewing so mm-hmm. um, there was 3,301 households watched the Doncaster Rovers match that was also a record for this season for Lincoln at home uh, and the Papa John's Trophy quarter final 1,731 supporters, uh, Lincoln supporters, streamed that game. Uh, that is a record for the competition, not just for Lincoln City. So um, I think that's impressive. I think we've got to keep the focus on iFollow uh, mm-hmm. for the, over the course of the next few months. I don't think we're going to be in the, the grounds before the end of the year. I don't care what before the end of the season. I don't. I don't think that's hap- um, going to happen at all. Uh, in terms of our iFollow attendances, and again, the kind of virtual attendances, I know. Uh, but we are the sixth in League Two. So that leaves us behind Charlton, who have the best I follow away attendance table. And this is away attendances only because home is hard to gauge, obviously, with season ticket holders. But we are so- Charlton at top, Sunderland second, Ipswich third, Plymouth Argyle fourth. So they have a better away following on I follow than we do, and Portsmouth fifth. Um, but it leaves us above 
Liverpool, Doncaster, uh, Blackpool, uh, Oxford United, you know, teams like that. So I think he's very well done. I think uh, we average 1,746 away fans per game. And if that's based on, uh, again, I don't, I don't know, but speculated, if that's based on, let's say, 600 going away on average to every away game, then obviously 1,100 times eight, you make the, uh, you do the maths. It's decent money and it's a vital revenue stream. So uh, looking further down, there's some quotes from Michael Appleton, which say uh, Lincoln fans are fucking brilliant. Uh, <laughs> let me just see what else he says, anything about that. Um, no, he's put to be amongst the top six clubs in this league for match pass sales is something we could be all be proud of, especially given the fact that many clubs in this division were in the Premier League not so long ago. Uh, as we end the second half of the season, it's looking unlikely that we will have supporters back in the stands in the near future. Whilst the whole team is missing the fantastic atmosphere that you create on match day, we are proud to know that there are so many of you watching us from home. Um, then it just tells you, without crowds on a match day, I follow is a key factor in closing the gap in lost revenue. As always, the club is extremely grateful for the endless support we continue to receive. The I follow service has significantly improved since the beginning of 2021. Uh, the 2021 season, not this year. Uh, and this is backed up by a 95% decrease in issues raised by supporters. So hopefully I follow is getting better. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think some of the little quirks, let's say, uh, that usually end up with me being three minutes behind the action by the end of the game have almost come to be accepted now. Whether that's right or wrong, I don't know. I will never accept having to listen to away commentary only. So the sooner the BBC lift their embargo on Michael and Rob travelling away, the better. Because uh, if I have to listen to those clunges from Hall going on about Lita <laughs> Hayworth, Brendan Jackson, do you know what I mean? We had Adam Johnson on the bench on Tuesday night. Adam Johnson had somehow sprung himself from prison uh, and was sitting on the bench for us. Honestly, did you not hear him? It was Adam Johnson. No, we, we we managed. What we did was we uh, we put we put the radio on and we paused the iFollow stream and we synced it up. Yeah, I can't um, do that. Cause people text me when they score. Oh, yeah, we we did that because it was. Um, it to be fair, it wasn't it wasn't there wasn't as big a delay as you'd have thought. It was. Um, yeah, it was it was all right, but my just, now TV had a thirty second delay. From the actual Sky feed last night. Yeah, that's that's pretty standard because it's um, yeah when it it goes through the Sky feed, then it gets encoded and then it gets pushed out. To, it's streaming is a nightmare for for live sport because you'll end up with somebody that can get onto it quicker and then it will buffer at a slightly different speed. So you'll have somebody celebrating a goal a good few seconds before somebody else does, and it's just oh, even in the same house. I saw the other week. Um, uh jamie one of the lads that i used to play in the band with he was saying that um he was watching a game downstairs and his son was watching the game upstairs but his son had um got the game streaming like slightly before him so his son came running downstairs and said oh have you said oh what the hell's happened there and he went what what do you mean he went no reason and then just walked back upstairs because he was uh he was aware of what was going to happen um, See, I don't want to comment on uh, the father-son relationship there, but surely you'd watch the game together, wouldn't you? I don't know what the um, I don't know what the the situation was. I think they, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I I was forced to watch the 1988 Littlewoods Cup final on a black and white telly upstairs because I told my dad to fuck off uh, <laughs> when uh, Arsenal got a penalty at two one up. Uh, and I was nine years old and I was a, a Luton and Lincoln fan. And it, uh, people who, who remember that final will remember Luton uh, oh. were 2-1 down. And I think Nigel Winterburn got a penalty, uh, 
missed a penalty. I think Andy Dibble saved it. And then Luton, Danny Wilson equalised and Brian Steen scored in the last minute. And when he got the penalty, Dad said, that's it, you're going to lose now, boy, and started giving me it. At nine years old, bear in mind. Love you, Dad. <laughs> um, yeah, and I said, I said, fuck off, Dad. And so then I was sent upstairs and on a tiny little black and white telly as well. It was this, this you could barely see what was going on. So... Yeah, I watched Brian Steen's winner in on on a screen that was probably as big as your average tablet screen now in black and white. Uh, so there we go. Oh, dear. So anyway, but yeah, it's, uh, Pete was Pete had to put his little one to bed last night, so he was watching the Lincoln game, and I missed. I, he had told me three or four days ago that he was going to be ten minutes behind, and then during the game he said like. He put something like, I'm 10 minutes behind, but Lincoln win this 2-0, uh, Grant and somebody else. And I put, well, McGrandles has already scored, completely forgetting. And he just messaged me back with, <laughs> and uh, and then after half time, obviously he caught up because he could just skip all the way through half time. Uh, and he then messaged me and said, does Grant take it with a question mark as we were attacking down the left hand side? I'm like, does Grant take what? <laughs> Oh, brilliant stuff. Instant karma. Well, yeah. almost instant. Yeah, yeah. So with a th- karma with a 30-second delay. <laughs> oh, dear. Right, well, I think that's pretty much everything. Obviously, good news for the for the club in terms of the iFollow revenue, especially considering it's away games where they're not covered by season tickets. Um, I think that's the, that's the key factor there is that, you know, everything that's sold through iFollow will go to the club, you know, in terms of the is it eight pounds, you say? £8.33 from every £10 match pass. Cool. Well, there you go. You know, you've got... I, I think it's... I, I Personally, I I think they're going to need to look at this even after COVID and say this is obviously being a success for for clubs and is there a way that they could potentially continue this for, uh, for away games? You'd because... have to speak to UEFA and the Euro- European about that because the, the blanket broadcasting ban is not an EFL choice. Uh, okay. It is a Europe-wide choice uh, right, for it, okay. and I think you would get extreme pushback uh, from a large number of supporters if we started broadcasting uh, 3 p.m. kickoffs. You would lose lo- lots of people who wouldn't travel away to games. Um, you take some of the atmosphere away. So, it, it, if it was put to me, and I was asked, should we consider three o'clock kickoffs being streamed live on iFollow? Uh, I will say, I would say no. 100 uh, percent i'd be always i'd be up from being replayed at five o'clock immediately after the game and then if people are not able to go but do want to game they, they will go to the game they shut themselves away for two hours but absolutely uh, you wouldn't get my support for uh, con- and as much as i've loved it and i've loved watching every minute of lincoln but there is no way that this club uh, or football in general should be promoting armchair support Okay, I mean, my my thoughts around it are that you know, obviously, you're never going to have the um, you're never going to have people that will go to you know the number of people that will go to every single away game. Um, I think, I think from my point of view, it's just we you know we, we obviously would go to every home game, but I don't think we'd go to every away game. And then you know there'd be some quite a few that we would go to, and if you know if, if circumstances allowed, we'd still go to them, but. 
yeah there, there'll be some away games that we just won't be able to get to and when you can't do that i think having the ability to get to a you know a, a stream game i think is is perfect really but um, your main pushback is going to come as well from clubs like accrington yes so accrington yeah, yeah. thrive on away fans and anything that's going to take that away it's i i just think any degradation of football as a as a, as a supporter-led culture and a, a a physical event that you attend has got to be resisted and i don't i go to five six away games a season so there are plenty of away games that i would watch on i follow as well but not saturday not three o'clock no problem with them being on a tuesday the tuesday night one's fair enough there's no blanket ban on that and uh, there's no way that i would go to portsmouth on a tuesday night but on a saturday afternoon um i think every supporter has the potential to go you know they're very generally society doesn't work on a saturday so generally a lincoln city supporter has the choice to go to doncaster portsmouth hall rotherham on a saturday afternoon uh, travel there in the car and you can't take that away on a Tuesday night with work it is much harder. And I think to continue to show that I follow on a Tuesday night, but not on a Saturday, I think is a sensible option. But, you know, there's always you can watch it from abroad anyway. So mm. you know, if, you, if you've got a VPN, you could circumnavigate that, pay for your iFollow, pretend you're in New Zealand or whatever and mm. uh, and, and watch the game, which I, again, I wouldn't recommend. But, you know, I've done it. So. <laughs> same it's 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 one of those i i think you know draw a line under it i think we've we've said before i will always pay for it you know i'm not going to sit there and and try and find a a dodgy stream but uh, as long as my money can go back to the club i'm happy to pay for um for anything that you know will allow me to see the games so right i think i think that's probably a good spot to to end the pod this week um unless there's anything else um i don't know if there is i can't really think of anything somebody might have said can you mention that on the pod in the week no idea who it was or what was it what it was about so no yeah let's do let's do it the postman brought me a package earlier and i've ordered two things from amazon prime uh, which should have been here yesterday so one of those hasn't arrived and i don't know whether to be hacked off that it hasn't arrived or happy that it has or it could be my um the spare stickers i need for the panini 2020 album arrived from panini and in that instance uh, it's going to be bittersweet because i'm going to be happy that they're here but i'm then going to be pissed off that i haven't got the batman arkham collection or so far so good by brian adams to put on my jukebox in the shed um <laughs> the arkham collection is very good by the way they've um they've patched it quite a bit so and so is brian it... adams i i know it's a guilty pleasure but heaven came on virgin radio the other day and it's just like do you know what I, I, I won't put brian adams on to listen around the house because it's not my thing there's not enough like punk in it for me but if you've got it on a jukebox and there's eventually there'll be six or eight of us pissed up in the bar you know putting on oh I mean, in fact, the yeah. only summer of 69 I've got in there is acoustic as well. And let's face it. And it was only recently I realised that that was about oral sex and not actually about 1969. You've led, have you led a sheltered life, Gaz? Oh. It was only today I found out that Erinsborough, uh, the the um, region of Melbourne or Canberra or whatever that Neighbours is set in, is actually an anagram of Neighbours. I was today years old when I found that out as well. Yeah, did you see it on Twitter? No, I've d- oh, literally now just right old. now. <laughs> well, there was a few. You know the, uh, is it the golden syrup that's got the lion on the front of it? Yeah, yeah, Tate and yeah. Lyles. 
Yeah, look at it closely. It's a dead lion being eaten by bees. Like, yeah, yeah, I've seen that. I've noticed that before. It's bizarre. Hello. Oh, and there was man. another one. Was it the Cadbury's Roses? And the middle of the rose on a Cadbury's Roses box is the Cadbury logo. I've um, never noticed it. I've, I've never noticed that before. Yeah, it's a C. It's the Cadbury logo. Wow. Shall That's, we go? We're just rambling now. Yeah, I was going to say, like, the only other thing that, that kind of immediately springs to mind in there is stuff like, you know, you, you'll never be able to unsee the arrow in the FedEx logo once you've seen it. I couldn't tell you what the FedEx logo looks like. But I'm going to. Go on, then. Let's just put it in. Let me type FedEx in here. Isn't that an American thing? And they, they, have, a, they have deliveries in the UK. What arrow in the FedEx logo? just says FedEx in... Purple and blue. Yeah, but look between the. Hang on, where is it? Look between the E and the X. <laughs> yeah, I've there never you go. seen that. There you yeah. go. You'll never be able to unsee it now. No, I won't. That's right. Wow. There you go. Genuine responses there to Erinsborough and FedEx. An Australian soap and an American delivery company on a football. Uh, sorry, I'll put. Uh, I'm doing the inverted commas <laughs> sign here. A, a quote football, football pod, podcast. Yeah, a quote football podcast. <laughs> there you go. Well, it wouldn't be the Stacey West podcast without some rambling shite at the end, would it? Or at the beginning, or all the way through. Or in the middle, yeah. But uh, anyway, right. We will see you guys uh, next week. We'll probably uh, go back to Friday next week. Um, because we can, uh, yeah, we can discuss the whole game and, and preview the following week. Sounds good. Yep. Cheers. All, all right. See you later, guys. Bye. Bye. It's the ninetieth minute, and all your mates around watching the imps on iFollow. You've got your McNugget share boxes on the go. Your mate's already got booked for double dipping, but then you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.